Hey everybody, it's Pastor Dominic from Gold Street Garden Church. We are so thankful as always to have you join us for another podcast episode. For the next few weeks, we are endeavoring to go through the book of James, which is touted by many theologians as the New Testament Proverbs. There is such a great wealth of practical application for the inward work of Christ that is found in the book of James. And we want to make sure what we believe in has breath and action in all that we do. So we know this is going to be a blessing to you. Enjoy today's message and the following messages that umbrella under this beautiful letter that James wrote to the church. To us, we've been on a journey the past few weeks in the book of James. How many people have been enjoying just the pure word of God? We're just reading the word of God and allowing the Holy Spirit to minister. So we've, we're still in James chapter one and we're three weeks in. I really believe, Lord willing, we will finish the first chapter tonight. It's also great having loving hands uh, in the house tonight, Travis and the team. So great to have you all. I, I want to share right before we get locked into our study tonight that God does his best work with nothing. (laughs) So make sure you don't flatter yourself too much. God does his best work with nothing. There's a quote from Martin Luther that says that God made the world out of nothing So if we really want to be something, we must first become nothing. God made the entire world and creation with nothing. He does his best work with nothing. When we reduce ourselves to just being a vessel for him to use, it's not about your talents, your giftings. It's not about any of that. And that's what a lot of, in the world, we have allowed that, mindset to creep into the church that it's all about giftings and talents and all of that and yes the lord equips different expressions and different people with things but at the end of the day when you yield yourself to him as we even heard testimonies tonight that god begins to do this work and there's just a lot of people that want to add christianity to their life but they don't want to subtract themselves for jesus There's a lot of people that want to add Christianity to their lives, but they don't want to subtract themselves for Jesus. That Christianity is not adding Jesus and all this to your life. It's actually coming to him and laying yourself down. But once again, this is a a mind renewal that needs to take place. And I want to share with you that as we're going into James chapter 1, I felt very compelled before we move forward in verse 19, because we did 12 through 18 last week. I felt strongly to recap temptation in just a nutshell to help everybody. But anybody that was here last week is, and I I just want you to, you know, with a shout or whatever is, 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 is finding new strength when they're tempted. Is there anybody that is, come on. And, and Hey, and it's Gene, right? Matt, can you, here, I want to, can you testify what the Lord did in your life real quick from last Tuesday? Can you testify? Well, I've been struggling with uh, electronic cigarettes for, I don't know, 
eight years now. And then after last Thursday, I threw them all out. Yeah. I haven't touched them. Jesus, isn't this awesome? It's so beautiful what God's doing in the house. It's so amazing. And, and the Lord's going to continue to strengthen you in this journey. And I, the, the quotes that we were sharing last week is when you, when you feed on the world, you strengthen the voice of temptation. But when you feed on the word of God, you strengthen the voice of conviction. Now, what, what does that mean to feed on the world? That means that you're listening to all the news. Like what, uh, this week, if I just say Will Smith and Chris Rock. Now, 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 the reason with me just even saying that is the world feasted on that. The world feast on it. I could get on my social media and when I have to get on and post little things for we got going on and just connect with people, I can tell very quickly who's consumed with the world and who's in love with Jesus. And you know, you, 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 people want to say, no, I just use it for this, but I want you all to know that, that there's a greater will and a greater rock. There's a greater will and a greater rock. And but what happens is the enemy, the enemy gives content for the world to debate over. And they don't even, like a, a week from now, nobody will even care what took place. But the world feasts on drama. It feasts on it. And then all of a sudden, if that's what you feast on, that's what your life becomes. That's what your expression becomes. The way you view things, the way, who was right, who was wrong. Let's have a war about it. Let's, let's go to social media and let's go to war over it. And it doesn't even matter. But that's feeding on the world. How much more all those people that invested their time and doing all the research on why that happened and, you know, looking up their stories and why did this take place and what was going on? They could have used all that time to get more free in the word of God. That's just a typical example. But this happens all the time. We've, we just saw it happen. The, the enemy has the world on puppet strings. Conflict, yell about it, debate over it. Whatever the enemy throws into the midst of the world, they all fight over it. But there's, there's something about those that hear the word of God and that they have resolve. That they're not moved by the things of this world. They don't even have time. All they see is lost people. And they say, Lord, how can I be more of a vessel that reveals the reality of who you are? And I know we're in James, but let me just reread a few verses from last week. Verse 12 says, blessed is the man, which you could also translate happy is the man, which is very similar to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount when he's going through blessed is the pure in heart for they shall see their God blessed. And he goes through all those and James is copying the same sermon outline. Blessed is the man who endures temptation for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt, he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Remember, we talked about this last week. It is not scriptural to say the devil made me do it. Because we just read that it's your own 
desires that you're not dealing with. That if you feed on the world and you feed on those things, you're actually increasing the voice of temptation in your life to be strengthened and you're giving it more place. And I breezed over this point last week and the, the Lord were, arrested me. I want you all to go to Luke chapter four and I need you to get your eyes on this and then we'll move forward. But Luke chapter four, this is when Jesus has just been water baptized and the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove and the father spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is a, a, a powerful moment in all eternity. We're seeing the very Trinity before our eyes. I don't know about you, but when I get to heaven, I can't wait to see all these on whatever heaven flicks or whatever it is. Like we'll get to watch all of these things, all these encounters and see. But in chapter four, watch what it says here. It says, then Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Everyone say led by the Spirit. So in verse one, he was led by the Spirit into the, wilder, into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. So even though God does not tempt, he allows temptation to come. Do you understand that? God allows temptation. Now, why would he allow temptation? Because this is proving what is real on the inside. This is because when you go back to the Garden of Eden with Eve, did you know the very first sin was having a meal without God? She was told not to eat of the, fr the fruit on the tree. She chose to eat it. So the very first sin was a meal without God. When Jesus is tempted in the wilderness, what is the first temptation? Turn stone into bread. That the temptation is still trying to have a meal without God. That, that what is, what's so big about that? What's the problem here? Remember, even Jesus comes on the scene and says, I am the bread of life. He's talking about being food, being substance. That, that the reason Eve did not even have an appetite for the tree of knowledge of good and evil until she entertained the voice of the serpent. And we said last week that if, if you can get an appetite for sin by listening to the devil, how much more can you get an appetite for the things of God if you start entertaining his voice and getting in this book and reading it? So what happens here is temptation, why, would, why, is it, why was it such a... a a symbolism thing when it comes to a meal because a meal is where you find substance and satisfaction. So Eve decided to find enjoyment outside of God. This is what temptation is. Temptation is just like somebody taking a fishing pole, putting bait on the end of it and saying, let's see if they bite because if they knew what was behind the bait, they would never take the bite. But this is what we have to realize is that the enemy is, is so gung-ho on proving that you aren't satisfied by him alone. And if you're not satisfied by him alone, 
it is easy to be satisfied by something outside of him. This is the journey of discovering that spiritual maturity is the glorious reducing of many desires to one, Jesus. That he becomes everything. And this is a journey through understanding the word because when the devil even tempted Jesus, temptation is not sin. Giving in to temptation is sin. But temptation, even Jesus was tempted. The Bible tells us right here in this chapter and that also in Hebrews that to be tempted, we all have to deal with these thoughts, but it's what we do with them that is most important. So when we're reading if you go down, that after Jesus was tempted, you go to verse 13 of Luke 4. It says, now when the devil had ended every temptation. Isn't that interesting language? That actually Jesus wore the devil out. Whoa. Is this, are we reading Bible? That when you resist temptation, you actually, God allows temptation but there's a time where the enemy actually, he had to end. He had to tap out. He realized that he could not have no foothold there. You know, I want to share personally that I, that there was some sin struggle in my life. Me being a man, I can be real up here. I struggled with pornography for a long time. I had, I had drug history. I had a lot of drug stuff. Drugs, it was like this for me. I, I really, I came right out of it. I was so thankful. But there was other struggles that I had. And I had to realize that I was trying so hard, and this is what my phrase would be like, Lord, I'll never do this again. Please forgive me. Does that sound similar? Peter, I'll never deny you that everything was on me and my performance making a vow to God that I'm not going to do this anymore. But my problem was is I wasn't finding that all my satisfaction was in him. And you know what? I remember I had a, a moment alone with the Lord where I weeped. And listen to, it was a, it was a, there was, there was, it was a, an older, uh, Phil Wickham's uh, Your Beautiful Song. I remember I put it on repeat and listened to it for hours and just weeped and weeped and just loved on God. And then I, I noticed that what happened from that point forward, that three months went by and I realized I wasn't even having thoughts anymore. I just rejoiced one day. I was like, oh my gosh, like I haven't even struggled with something that was routine and it's gone because I started becoming so satisfied with him. I started finding enjoyment in things and I wasn't allowing myself to be just the prey of the enemy and allowing, but it takes this thing. So I share all that because it says, now the devil ended every temptation. He departed from him until an opportune time. So when the enemy ends, he's going to wait. The enemy studies what you love. The enemy will study what you gravitate towards. He'll study what bothers you. He'll study so that way he can come at the right time. It's why you gotta be watchful. And don't give him a place. But here's verse 14. You ready? Remember verse 1 says he was led by the spirit into the wilderness. You ready for verse 14? Then Jesus returned in the power of the spirit to Galilee. So Jesus was led by the spirit. He gets tempted. And when he comes out of the wilderness, he's got the power 
because he realized that while he was being tempted, he learned to lean on God. And once you learn to lean on God, you become so powerful in the spiritual realm. You are able to say no when, when everybody else is just, was just falling down and worshiping idols. You will have a stamina because you've learned to trust him. And you know what it took? Jesus was fasting and praying. You know, there's people in this room that maybe you haven't fasted yet and you're still struggling with some things. You know, I want you to know that, yeah, Christ died. Christ, it is finished. But there is, there is what happens in our own lives that when we begin to see that fasting doesn't get God to do something, fasting positions you to understand he's already moved. Fasting positions you in places because it trains your, your it, it it depresses and it suppresses your natural appetite and it increases your spiritual appetite. Makes you more aware. And Jesus even said when, it, when you have to pray for deliverance for certain people that this only comes out by fasting and prayer. He didn't say this only comes out after I die on the cross. Just saying. That there's, there's, we have to understand the, the understanding biblically and don't put words in the master's mouth so wanted to show you that also first corinthians 10 13 we read this last week i want to say it again no temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man but god is faithful who will allow you to be tempt who will will allow you to be not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it a lot of times people read that scripture but they don't read the rest of the chapter and the rest of the chapter says flee from idolatry and then it says take communion what is the way of escape remembering what he did because you will have a distaste for sin when you see the price of the sin Jesus didn't pay for sin so you could play with sin. He paid for sin because it is reviled to him. And it, it, it destroys your creative value. It perverts your mind. I, I, I love the old example that you would probably, if, if anybody, I didn't grow up in a youth group, but once I heard of this example, I just tried to use it all the time. But there's the example of if you have a pure glass of water, and you just stick a little piece of poop in it. It's poop water now. Doesn't matter, doesn't matter if you put a giant turd in there or you just put a little, a little pebble, a squirrel pebble or something, whatever. You know, you, either way, it has become poop water. And you have to understand when it comes to sin, that sin Sin is a huge deal. If it wasn't a huge deal, why would God pay such a price for it? And temptation is to, is to lure you into what God paid a price that you would not. The Bible says that sin shall not have any dominion over you. There are people in this room that just say, I just can't get over this. I'm here to tell you that's not scriptural. And I'm not saying that to bring condemnation I'm saying I'm not saying that to put you down I'm saying it to raise Christ up there's a difference when we raise him up we we find victory and we said this last week that we end temptation when we start conversation with God temptation finds strength when you just keep talking to the enemy 
and you keep entertaining those thoughts instead of truly tapping in to what God has. My convert, and what did Jesus say when he was tempted the first time? The enemy tempted him and said, you know, turn this bread or turn this stone into bread. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You know what? That's so, every time Jesus comes back at the enemy with temptations in this chapter, he's always quoting Deuteronomy. And you know what Deuteronomy is all full of? Moses leading the people out of the wilderness into the promised land. So he's quoting that, which means I believe Jesus was meditating on how to be the, the mediator, to be the one that would bring God's people out of slavery to sin and bring them into the promised land. And as he was there, he was becoming that vessel to do that. And when he says, man shall not live by bread alone, he's saying that I don't need anything from this world to satisfy what only he can satisfy. And he's saying that I will not be tempted. And what he says is my, I shall live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That means that Jesus was saying that my life is found in his voice. And if my life is found in his voice, I don't have a choice because I need him. Remember when Peter and all the disciples, when Jesus just spoke to probably about 15,000 people and he said, he gave this message about eat my flesh and drink my blood and all these people that were following Jesus just leave and it says they were offended. They were offended at his speech and Jesus turns to the disciples and he says, are you all going to leave too? Are you offended too? And Peter says this, he says, where else will we go? You hold the words to eternal life. That there's a revelation that takes place that I'm not tempted to walk away when everybody else is. I'm not tempted to go the way the world is because I heard something in your voice. I've seen something in the scripture. I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm too far into this thing to ever be convinced otherwise. Is that, am I the only one? Some, of, some people in this room, I'm telling you what, the devil, the devil is counting on some people in this room that just a little, a little bit waves come your way and you're just not sure where you, you stand or if I can keep. I'm telling you, the ones that stay diligent, the ones that stay consistent, it's, it's, it's this fact that, Jesus said in John 8, 31, he said, I say to you that you are my, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. What does abide mean? It means I'm staying here. I'm not leaving. I don't care how bad it seems to get. I'm going to stay here because he promised me freedom. And even if I don't feel free, I know I am because my feelings don't determine my freedom. My Savior does. And the more you lean on him, you will prove that your feelings are fickle, that they pass away so quickly. And I know I'm really taking my liberty with temptation, but I, I just, I don't want to see the church bound. You hear my heart. I don't want to see people keep going around the wilderness, around the mountain when you've been given the power to overcome. Paul said, we've been saying it, I've been crucified with Christ. 
It's I who no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me in the life that I now live. I live in the flesh by faith, by the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then in Galatians 5, he says that anyone that follows Christ has crucified their lust of the flesh. Past tense, already done, already crucified, already gone. And I I wanted to share this to give you a little bit more imagery and then we'll move forward, is the fact that Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, remember he was being tempted again to be tempted to, to not go to the cross. He was actually going to not go to the cross. He said, if there be any other way, Lord. And the reason I know he was being tempted because it tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, verses three through four, it says, has any of you ever refuted sin by bloodshed, resisted sin to bloodshed? talking about so but what's so powerful about that is in Matthew 26 when Jesus is being tempted did you know every time his blood was shed it was for a purpose that means that when the crown of thorns was on his head they put the crown of thorns on his head because soon as the blood of Christ touched the crown of thorns what does the crown of thorns represent well thorns represents the curse So when that crown of thorns was put on his head, the blood of Christ turned the curse into God's blessing in your mind. That salvation would be your thought process, not the curse anymore. The blood in the hands, no longer would you have to work to get God to love you, but that the love that he took the payment so that blood says that you receive You receive the blood. So why am I bringing up where the blood is so purposeful? Because the blood didn't first fall or first get invested at the cross. It got invested in the garden of Gethsemane. So when he began to bleed in temptation, do you know what that blood was doing? That blood was breaking the power of sin ruling in your mind. That he resisted temptation to bloodshed so that way we would be free from giving in to temptation because the blood took care and gave us an escape because he actually went through it. Do you see that? That's profound. And the Bible tells us in Psalm 37, four, when we talk about delight yourself also in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Does that help everyone? So in James chapter one, starting in verse 19, I wanna read this, We'll, we'll read it all through. So then, my beloved brethren, this is right after he's done talking about temptation, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word of God, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, see this again, this theme about being diligent, continuing, And it is not a forgetful hearer, but is a doer of the work. This one will be blessed, happy in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not brittle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, 
This one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Everyone say amen. amen. Isn't this beautiful? Now I want to unpack this. And, and tonight, if we had to give a theme for the, the, the final end of James chapter 1, it's how to approach God's word. How to approach God's word. And we're going to go through this, that when it says, so then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Sometimes when we read this, we think that this is just practical advice. And that is an element of it, because God's word is always practical advice. Would everybody agree that we live in a culture that loves to hear themselves talk? They're, they don't like to listen, for sure. All they need is to see one headline, and they think they know the whole article. All they need is just to see a picture and they think they know everything and all this. But it says, be swift to hear. What does that mean? It, to, to, to be like ready to hear, to be ready to listen. I wanted to give you a few scriptures from Proverbs. Proverbs 10, 19 says this, too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. Do you want to hear that one again? You want to put that on your refrigerator? Proverbs 10, 19, too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. Proverbs 18, 13 says this, he who answers a matter before he hears it, it is a folly and a shame to him. In the New Living Translation, it says, spouting out before listening to the facts is both shameful and foolish. This is what the word tells us. And we need to really see, and in, in Acts chapter 14, there's a story of Paul preaching the word. And as he's preaching, there was a lame man in the crowd, just like this. There was an audience listening to Paul the apostle preach. And as he's preaching, it says that there was a lame man, and it says as the lame man was listening to the word, that it says Paul saw faith on the man, and he looked at the man and he said, get up. And the man immediately shot up and he was fully restored, fully healed. Why do I bring that story up? Because when you listen to God's word, anything can happen. Anything can happen. Right now, we're listening to the word of God. You may be dealing with something. It doesn't matter even what's being talked about. If it's just God's word going forth, there's power in his word. Whether it's in Leviticus or whether it's in Colossians, the word has the same power that you could just read a scripture on ceremonial laws and you'll see Jesus in it or you'll see the genealogies. It'll just reveal something so profound. But we have to understand that when we're reading this, this verse 19 is not just saying how you interact with people. This is telling us how we approach the word of God. How can you say that, pastor? How can you say that's what he's saying? Well, let's read it in context. It says, so then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, so he's saying why he just said that. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness, the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. So how do you receive the word of God? By listening. Now, check this out. You have to see this. 
when James wrote this, he wasn't ministering to a bunch of spoiled Americans that had the Bible on their phone. These people did not have at-home Bibles that they could read. They had to go and get taught the word of God. They had to go, somebody had to read the law over them, had to read the word over them. And what James is saying, that when you go to hear the word of God, you have to be, you have to incline your ear. That when you, when when you come to a place, when you're reading the word by yourself, you got to position yourself. You we have to understand, like, when we say how to approach the word of God, Will, let me ask you a question. Would you approach a puppy different than a full-grown lion? What's the answer to that? Absolutely. Puppy, some of, we would see a puppy, be like, oh, come here. You are not doing that to a full-grown lion out. And you would approach the lion with us, with a reverence. You would approach it in a way. The word of God, people are just like, God, motivate me. I, I need advice. Like, I, I, like the Bible says, Isaiah says, I tremble at your word. Now, now I, I, what I'm trying to get you to know is that if you don't value this, you won't approach it the right way. And if you don't value church, you won't approach it the right way. If you don't value the word of God, you'll just do whatever you want to do and just think that, oh, they should just be thankful I show up or they should just, you know, I, I, you know it's, it's, we should have a reverence that when we approach the word that we should have this expectation that my life can be completely changed if I listen. But what is it going to say? It says, position yourself to hear. Be, be quick to hear. But then what does it say after that? It says, slow to speak. You know why? Because there's a lot of people that'll hear certain truths of the word of God and they'll think they're masters on it. Let me tell you what God really means. He doesn't really mean that when he says that. I, I, I've, I've seen it before. Like, and they'll, they'll try to tell you what God says and they'll try to speak and, and they'll say, no, that's not what my church does. And there, it's, there's not a reverence. It should be, there should be a little back. But then what's the next thing? Slow to wrath. What do you mean slow to wrath when I, when I hear the word of God? Now, this is where it gets a little intense. We live in a day and age that, do you know when Paul wrote, husbands, love your wives, and wives, submit to your husband? When he wrote that, the whole church just said, yes, we want what God says. But now, because of the way culture is, we have to explain what submission is for a half hour just so women aren't offended. And I know that might have offended people right there, but what I'm, what, what I'm saying, but, 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 but hear me out, but hear me out. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. So a woman's only going to submit to a man that's willing to die for her. That submission is the response to a life laid down. Submission is not demanding. Jesus does not demand submission. He laid himself on the altar and we willingly submit. But the reason I give that as an example is because when the word is being taught, we're living in a culture where now the word of God is becoming more and more hate speech. In Canada, you can get locked up for talking about homosexuality from a pulpit now. Five years. 
Do you, do you understand that that's because the Bible is saying slow to wrath because when you start hearing God's word, it's going to deal with things in your life that might cause you to get a little angry. Here's an example. They crucified Jesus. Some of us forget that. We think Jesus wasn't going around with picket signs saying, you're all going to hell. He was preaching the truth. He was preaching the word and it caused wrath to come out of people. But it says, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I want to speak and I want men in this room to hear me. Stop trying to get your way with outburst of anger. If you're listening live, just because you're a little stronger or just because you throw a hissy fit and break things, that's a problem. And it doesn't produce righteousness and it, all it does is just reveal bondage in your life. Outburst of anger, did you get, get you know, out, I want you to, just so you understand that we're reading the word, Galatians 5 says this. In verse 19, it says, The works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outburst of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murderers, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, those that practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is serious. And a lot of times people want to say, you know, well, there's, yes, there's grace. And that's what's happening right now. Moments to repent. Moments to say, God, I don't want to live that way anymore. That maybe my father acted a fool or maybe this was in, but I'm going to live like Jesus and I'm going to tap into his humility and his spirit, his yoke that he's given to me. Is everybody hearing me? I just want to make sure that, that the word of God will produce wrath. We're in a, this is a, you see, we're in a church where everybody's coming to hear the word of God. They're coming, they're wanting to learn. But when, when we go out and we're doing outreaches, when we're going more out, there's the, we're, we're going to come more to a time, even in America, where there's going to be more persecution. And we have to understand that the disciples, do you know when they were, it says in Acts 4 that they were beat, like they were beat, like literally whipped for preaching the gospel. And they said, don't talk about Jesus anymore. You know what they did? They ran back to the upper room going, we got beat for Jesus. They were so excited to get beat. We would, you know, there's people today that's like, they're going to hit us? What? We're suing. But you see, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience and let patience have its perfect work in you that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives liberally without reproach, but don't let him ask doubting, let him ask in faith because God will not give to a double-minded man who's unstable in all of his ways. That we have to understand 
that when we're going after it, how God rewards those that see. So is everybody hearing that? And so for the, now this is in verse 21, therefore, so how do we position ourselves to hear better and be slower in speech? What does it say? Therefore, lay aside all filthiness. This looks like a decision, doesn't it? Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive the meekness with meekness. What is meekness? It's humility. So lay aside filthiness and wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. I want to share this that that you have to make choices. The, the more you come to know God, there are things that you are, you're just gonna realize have to go. There are people that I can't speak to regularly anymore. There's, there's, there's things that just happen. There's choices. There's, because I don't have things in common with people from the world. The only reason I talk to people from the world is so that they, they can know Jesus. It's... It's no longer do I have association there and I have to lay aside filthiness and I have to lay aside overflow of wickedness. I have to make a choice. Does that sound familiar? Like Hebrews 12, uh, one, it says, it says that when it says that um, the author and finish of our faith and it says that Jesus, that it said, let us cast aside all sin and throw everything to the side, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, that there's a choice you have to make to throw things to the side, but then what is it talking about? To receive with humility the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Who is the word? Jesus is the word. You know why? Because John 1, 14 says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's why Jesus is one of the greatest examples for the book of James because it says what? Faith without works is dead. Well, what did Jesus do? Jesus literally became the word in action. He, became, he, he came and lived in a body and acted upon the very word of God and breathed it out. But I wanna share with you why, do you, why do people have to receive with humility the word of God, receive Jesus? You know, there's two scriptures I want to give you if you are taking notes. And it's, it's these right here that it says that in Galatians 5.11, it tells us that the cross is an offense. And then in 1 Corinthians 1.23, it says that the cross is a stumbling block. The cross of Christ. In today's culture, if we want to receive the word of God, I want you to hear me. When we want to receive the word of God, the implanted word of God, which is Christ, did you know that there was a time when Jesus died on the cross that the cross was the symbol? It was the symbol of death, but it was the symbol, symbol of a criminal's death. And only, the only ones that went to the cross were those that were murderers, or those that who had been in extremely immoral criminal activity. So the reason we can celebrate the cross today is because only God can take a horrific symbol that meant death and turn it into a symbol of life and hope. But 
Why would the cross be an offense to people? Why would it be a stumbling block? Because the Jews could not compute. They, the, they could not believe that their Messiah would die on a criminal's cross. So when it says receive with humility the word of God, James is talking to people that they won't receive the message of the cross because they won't believe it because receiving with humility, what we all forget in American culture, when you think of the cross, the cross forces you. And I, I, and I wanna use this term that he's, we know God's a gentleman, but the cross is when you come to the cross, you are awakened to the reality that you are wicked and that you, were a, you are full of sin and that you were a failure, and that's offensive because man wants to have a part in salvation. Man wants to say, okay, you're a holy God, so if you tell me a few things to do, I'll be a really good boy, and you'll let me in. But the cross forces people to realize that this was the price for the way you lived. And you have to humble yourself and submit yourself to this man that's named Jesus. This is, this is why humility is the only way you can get to heaven because you have to come to the reality of the cross and what it purchased and what it did. And once you realize, the Colossians says that just as you received him, so walk in him. So if you had to receive him with humility, and realizing that you can't do anything without him, you have to walk with him every day saying, God, I can't do anything without you. And you live in this, this obedience to him. But I'm here to tell you all tonight that some of you need a, a, a wake up to understand the, the cross. That this is salvation, what Jesus came to do. And it's the stumbling block for so many, but it's a stumbling block in our day and age because we celebrate the cross, but we don't really understand the price of it. And when you understand the price of it, it'll change your life. It'll change everything. So he's saying that, and I, I want to emphasize that this word that in 1 Peter 123, it says that the word of God is the seed of God, which means that when you receive his word into your heart, guess what? God's DNA just got in you. Do you realize that? That now God's character, his personality, his nature, his desires are now on the inside of you. And the Bible tells us that we need to renew our minds in Romans 12 too, so that way we're not conformed to the world, but that we're transformed and that way we'll know what his perfect will is. His good, acceptable, perfect will. But we have to renew the mind. And this is, goes so perfect with where we're going because the word of God causes you to live like God. I know that that sounds almost blasphemous at first, but his word causes you to live like him because you're made in his image and you receive this word and it begins to grow in you as you nurture it and this is why James goes on to say but be doers of the word not hearers only deceiving yourself I want to say this hear me out the height of deception the height of deception 
is to hear truth and not apply it. The height of deception is to hear truth and not apply it. This is where people are at, that they'll hear good messages. They'll, I, I've been, I have listened, you know, you're, you're here tonight. I can, and I'm not saying this to point people out, I'm just helping you get a reality. You can, somebody could come up to me after service and say, brother, that was a great word. And I'll say, what did you learn tonight? Oh, I don't know, it was, it was good. Because, because there's, no, there's no true listening, it's just, People being conditioned to just, oh, good message, you were loud, or you were, you were this, but it's when we receive the word and we grow that something happens, and then he says, be a doer, not a hearer only, deceiving yourselves, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. So now he talks about a mirror. Could you imagine that if you woke up in the morning and you looked in the mirror and you had a whole bunch of cuts all over your face, like there was just cuts all over your face, and you just looked at the mirror and you're like, all right, I'm ready for the day. Like, soon as you would have saw there was something wrong, you would have been like, you would want to start addressing that. You would want to start fixing that. And what would you have to do to fix it? You would have to stay looking at the mirror to find out where to do everything correctly and to be. But you would have to stay looking at the mirror to make the proper adjustments. And we have to realize that James is giving us an example here. He says, for he observes himself and goes away immediately, forgets what kind of man he was. I'm going to make a statement that a lot of you aren't going to like because I don't like it myself. You only forget what you don't value. Ugh. You only forget what you don't value. And that hurts me too, I want you to know, because there are things that I forget that, yeah, they're still up there, but I forgot the timing or I forgot. And the, the, the greatest example of that is you would not forget you had a vacation this weekend. You would not forget what time you get off work because you value those things so you don't forget them. But this is saying that if you don't value truth, you'll just forget it. You'll just hear it. It'll go out one, in, in one ear, out the other. It won't go into your heart. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in all that they do. I wanna, I wanna share this in closing and worship team can come. Uh, but I want you to all know that when we are at a place of truly understanding that this is talking about a mirror. Did you know that there's only two other times a mirror is brought up in the Bible? And a mirror is brought up in the Bible, in 2 Corinthians where it says that we are transformed, beholding him like in a mirror and being transformed into his glory. But the other time is actually in Exodus. And it's right before the priest would go into the would go into the temple to make sacrifices that there was a table that the water was at the, where the water was, where the priests would wash their hands before they go in to serve, that it was actually made with the, the glasses and the lenses of the women. So it ended up being a mirror and the water would be in a mirror. It's really unique. It's in Exodus 38. And you would find that before the priest went in to minister, 
he would have to check himself to make sure he was ready to make an offering to God and serve the God. And, but here's one of the amazing things about water that I want you to remember is the Bible says that the water washes our mind. It says this, but here's the thing about water is you can see your reflection in it and it can wash you. God's word is like water that it'll reveal what's wrong, but then it can also wash you clean of what's wrong. Isn't that amazing? That when you look, because what did the psalmist say in Psalm 23? You lead me beside still waters and you restore my soul. Because when he leads us beside the still water, we see our reflection. And we see that he's with us. And it restores our soul. Finally, if anyone among you thinks he's religious and does not brittle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. And in James chapter three, we will talk about the tongue in extensive nature. Pure and undefiled religion before God is this, to visit the orphan and the widow in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Isn't it, it's so beautiful that God would tell us to visit the orphan and the widow because that's what we all were before we knew him. We were all widows. We were widows to Adam. And Jesus calls us his bride. We were all orphans. But God has adopted us as his sons. So the reason that we are instructed is so that way we remain humble in what God has done in our lives. And we give to those showing that he is the husbandman and he is the father of all of those. And then keeping yourself unspotted from the world. This is what we've talked about this whole time. Lay aside the filthiness. Lay aside the wickedness. How we approach the word of God will determine the value that we have for it. I'm extremely excited to continue going through the book of James. I want to know, is this, has this been a blessing to everybody that you're seeing? That... that we're not going to stop. We want to, I want us all to, to truly, the quote that the Lord inspired this whole thing with was, the crown of context reveals the king of the scriptures. And when we read things in context, we don't have the liberty to cherry pick scriptures, but that when we read things in context, we actually find out what God is saying to us right now, what he's trying to reveal to us. And tonight, I, I pray that, that we all have a new approach, a greater approach to when we come to the word, when we listen to the word, that we're quick to hear. We're slow to just have an opinion and that even at the times where God's word reveals something in us that we're not in agreement with or we don't like, that we, we're slow to wrath and we, we receive his word with humility that even the parts that it's like, ah, oh, I wanna do it this way or do it this way, and we just humble ourselves. And that we say, God, I don't wanna just hear your word. I don't wanna just sit around and not do something. I'm gonna do your word. And as I do your word, I'm going to see the miraculous. I truly believe, I've been sensing this so in my heart that God has been ministering to my heart that we are about to start seeing signs, wonders, and miracles in a way that we haven't before. And this is why though, 
It's because, it's because God says, thank you for giving the foundation of my word. Because signs and wonders without the foundation of the word, people will just frivolously lose things. They'll just chalk it up to miracles or thinks that it was just because we did it, you know, we sang that song or we did this and they'll get caught up in certain ideas. But when we realized what's happening is, is that the word of God is being exalted. And because of that, he is going to showcase and signature his presence all over our lives and I truly believe that 